Well, good morning. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy uh, to be with y'all here this morning. Uh, we have a lot to unpack, and so if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. Uh, Colossians is this short little book in the New Testament. I believe it is sandwiched between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. And so while you do that, let me rant a little bit. Uh, I don't have a lot. Uh, you're going to hear more and most of it during our announcement video later today. Um, I'm not sure if we still have any. Um, I don't know. Do we? Do we? Okay, so uh, in case uh, you didn't get one, we do have these scripture journals available for you. That's our gift to you as we walk through this series uh, in Colossians. Uh, it's a really nice journal. It's a moleskin journal published by Crossway, and it's wonderful for uh, your personal time and devotion or simply taking some notes uh, throughout this series. So if you have not gotten one, let me encourage you to get one. The second thing I have for you, and I believe you're going to hear this in the, the announcement video later today, is that next week, next Sunday, we are going to be having our members class. Our members class is both on the 7th and the 14th. Here's why I bring it up. Uh, if you uh, desire to pursue membership here at Storehouse, or if you simply want to learn more about us and our story I'm going to be real, please sign up and stop being so valley, okay? The reason I say that is because oftentimes what ends up happening is signups come in, which is great and it's wonderful, uh, signups come in for these classes uh, the day of, and we don't know how much food to actually get. We want to hook you up, we want to feed you, but we also want to be good stewards of that money. So. Please sign up. Uh, in addition to that, there's going to be an online link. For those of you who are online, you can um, watch through Zoom. Nevertheless, uh, please sign up and stop being so valley. I say that with love, and that's it. So um, let's jump into our time. Again, we're in Colossians 1. We're looking at verses 9 through 14 this morning. So I am uh, very privileged to, to speak with and meet with several people in our congregation throughout the week. And, and recently, I have been very encouraged, I have been very humbled by our conversations. Um, I've been incredibly thankful uh, to God in allowing me to see what He is doing in the hearts and minds of many in our church, seeing sin being confessed, wandering hearts that are being recognized, and, and thinking is being challenged. And in all of this, and during our conversations, we find ourselves coming to the same question. What do I do now? How do I grow? These are important questions, and they are good questions because we all ask them throughout our life when we are convicted of our sin or when we realize that we need to make changes in our life, when we need to create perhaps a new or different culture and so on. Similarly, another common question that we confront is, what is God's will for me? That's probably one of the most common questions that exists in the church today. What is God's will for me? 
Have you ever come across that question? Have you asked yourself that question recently? In today's passage, God, through the Apostle Paul, continues his prayer from last week and and begins a new direction. Last week, the Apostle Paul was thankful to God for his work in the Colossians' salvation, in their reception and understanding of the gospel, and in the faithfulness of the gospel through the preaching and teaching of Epaphras. Today, his continued prayer consists of asking God that the Colossians would apply this new salvation, that they would apply their new identity in Christ in their daily life, that they would respond to Christ's work for them. So, in light of where we find ourselves in Colossians and perhaps the season many of you find yourself in, here is the main idea. Spiritual growth is the Christian's response to the work of God for them and in them. Spiritual growth is the Christian's response to the work of God for them and certainly the work of God in them. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 and then uh, I'll pray and we'll see what God has to say for us this morning. Beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we begin our time in your word this morning with a posture of thankfulness. Thank you for allowing us uninterrupted to gather to celebrate and worship your glory, to magnify the work of Christ, and to walk in your spirit. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our good God and Savior, who has rescued and redeemed us. We thank you for your word the revelation of yourself to us. May we abound in devotion and holiness as we encounter your word for us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you please be at work in us this morning, stirring and discerning the intentions of our heart so that we may be drawn to the beauty of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. What I love about Paul's letters to the church is his incredible intentionality. As Paul continues with this prayer, this prayer, if you remember, began in verse 3. As he continues with this prayer, he's not simply including general requests. He's not spitting Christianese. He is specific on what he is asking God to do through these Christians in Colossae. In verses 9 to 14, 
That's exactly what we see, his requests. And he begins with a prayer. This change of direction begins with the little phrase, and so. And so tells us that he is making a change in his tone, similar to the word therefore. It would be as if Paul is saying at the end of verse 8, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit, therefore. There's a change in his tone. There's a change in his direction. So in his intercession here, we see three sections of Paul's heart. We see his prayer to God for the Colossians, the purpose of his prayer, and the foundation of their ability to respond. So let's begin by examining the prayer. This is our first section. This is verse 9. Paul's prayer to God for the Colossians is profound. He prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And so before we get to that second part of verse 9, that's what he's asking for. He is asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. I want us to go right to the beginning. See, the beginning of of verse 9, we see that Paul's prayer is immediate. If we're looking at verse 9, he says, From the day we heard. It's almost an echo from verses 3 through 5 that he is praising them from the time they heard the gospel and received the gospel, God began to do a work in them. Likewise, Paul is now saying, from the moment we heard of your salvation, we began to pray for you. He didn't waste time. He immediately added the Colossians to his prayer list, to to his journal, and began praying for them. Secondly, we see that this prayer, or that Paul is praying for the Colossians, but he's not praying for them alone. He says, we heard. We have not ceased to pray for you. The intentions of Paul's heart was immediate to begin to pray for the Colossians, to thank God for his work in their salvation, and now to encourage them to grow spiritually. And he wasn't alone. Thirdly, we see that Paul's prayer is ongoing. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, this doesn't mean that he is praying for them every single minute of every single day. What it does mean is that Paul is praying for them regularly, daily, ongoingly, since him and the other saints that are gathered with him in that Roman prison heard. I want you to know that this kind of prayer that we're going to unpack in just a minute, this kind of prayer is actually the most common kind of prayer in the New Testament. When it comes to spiritual growth or sanctification, us growing in our godliness, us putting sin to death, that is the most common prayer or type of prayer in the New Testament, not healing not miracles. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for healing. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that oftentimes the church wants to see big things and entertainment type of things, or they misconstrue what prayer is. Here we see that the most common prayer is a prayer for spiritual growth, for Christians to mature, for Christians to be more like Jesus. 
Church, do you pray for one another like this? When a concern is shared with you that it is ongoing, when you hear of another's praise or salvation, that you praise God with them, but then apart from them, you are thankful to God for them and His work in them. Do you pray like this for one another? In a couple of weeks, I think it's the week after Easter, we're doing something called Church Planting Sunday. And on that Sunday, I'm going to introduce you, if you're not familiar with, uh, the Acts 29 Church Planting Network that we're a part of. The goal is to plant churches that plant churches. Within this network, we, Storehouse McAllen, support financially and prayerfully several church plants. You're going to get to hear from those pastors you may have never met these men, and you probably may not necessarily meet their congregations. But my desire is that we would be like Paul and the saints that are gathered in this Roman prison, that we would immediately pray for them as we hear of God's work for them and in them. Do you pray like this for one another? Regularly? from the minute you hear the concern or the praise? And is it more than just you? From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he's asking. Here's the prayer. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. When Paul asks or when Paul prays that they would be filled, that little phrase, to be filled, this is in the passive tense, meaning someone else is doing the filling. And to be filled means to be intoxicated. It means to be governed by. It means to be under the influence of, that it actually, whatever it is that you are being filled with, that it permeates through you. Here, it is God that does the filling through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we can be filled with things like anger, bitterness, or even deceit. Or, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of His will, which is God's Word revealed. So let's look at that phrase. Paul's asking, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you got those notes, the scripture journals, circle spiritual. We'll come to that in a bit. As I mentioned earlier, one of the common questions in the church tends to be, what is God's will for my life? Or what is God's will for insert request? Often this question is brought up because of a significant or weighty decision that needs to be made. Should I transfer jobs? Should I take the promotion? Should I take the test? Should I do this, that, or the other? Should I date so-and-so? What are you doing, Lord? Tends to be a question that gets put on the table regularly. And the truth is, it's a good question. Now we're trying to seek guidance, we're trying to seek counsel, but it could also be a dangerous question. And the reason it could be dangerous is because it can imply that what God has revealed to us in His Holy Scripture isn't enough, 
or it isn't sufficient. Here, when we read that Paul wants us to be filled by God with his will, with the knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, these three things are actually one. They're bundled into one. They're all connected. The Old Testament gives us uh, a few examples. For instance, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 10, the psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander, wander from your commandments. He is asking, how do I honor the Lord with my life? Well, according to his word. And how do I seek the Lord? I keep his commandments. So when we hear about God's will and, and wisdom and understanding, they're actually connected God's will is parallel with God's word. We can know God's will, and sometimes it is obvious. Sometimes it is not very obvious. But for instance, let's look at a couple of passages. 1 Thessalonians, or a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, For this is the will of God. So many of you who have that question, what is God's will for my life? Well, he tells us here, your sanctification. That you would grow in godliness, that you would be more like Jesus, that you would put your sin to death. Not enough? Let's look at chapter 5. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So whether you take the job promotion or you transfer to the new city, wherever you are, give thanks in all circumstances because that is God's will for you. Throughout Scripture, God's will is revealed and made very clear in His Word. Just because He doesn't answer your question right away doesn't make Him silent. Or excuse me, doesn't make Him absent. It is foolish to pursue God's will for your life in the areas of marriage or your professional career or academics or even parenthood if you have no desire to pursue God's will as he has already revealed it to you in his word. See, the beauty of God revealing himself to us is the fact that God actually speaks to us. Idols don't. Sometimes it just requires you to be still and seek the Lord. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Keep his commandments? That's what the psalmist tells us. As a result of God revealing his will through his word, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which means we can apply his word. When Paul says spiritual wisdom, that word spiritual is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He's not using that word so that you would incorporate spirituality. The entire point or one of the biggest themes in this letter is the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. That is that Jesus alone is supreme and sufficient, not Jesus and something else. 
And so when he is saying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom, that is that the Holy Spirit would continue to reveal more and more about God himself, that he would continue to counsel you and guide you, it does not mean that you would add some false theology, some false spirituality, because you need to understand God's will. And the truth about that is when we read through letters like Colossians, we can separate ourselves and say, yeah, that's something from the second and third century or the first and second century. But the truth is we struggle with the exact same thing. And I'm speaking specifically to Christians that just because books are under the spiritual or Christian living section, just because someone has a couple of verses in their bios on their Instagram or on their website, that just because there's a fish on the van doesn't necessarily mean that they are pursuing God's will, that they are seeking God's will. It doesn't necessarily mean that they think Christianly, that they think biblically. And so sometimes what I see Christians do is drift and wander to spiritual things because they slapped on a couple of verses without ever actually looking at the context, without actually ever reading their Bibles, without ever asking hard questions, without ever actually going to prayer. But because it sounds good, just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's godly. Paul's prayer is so that they would be sanctified, so that they would grow in their spiritual walk with the Lord. Too many Christians want to be spiritual, not enough want to be godly. How can we know God's will? God has revealed it to us in Christ through his holy scriptures. Next, Paul leads us to the purpose of his prayer. This is verse 10 through the beginning of 12. Paul unpacks the purpose of his prayer for the Colossians and what it looks like practically. And what I want you to know is that Paul never separates theology from practice. And I think that is certainly a a beautiful thing because it is the work of the Holy Spirit in him because oftentimes you and I will do that. It's all about theology. Let's not necessarily worry about practice. It's all about practice, but let's not worry about theology. Paul doesn't separate them. When you and I separate them, we reject God's grace. So let's look at what he says. So he begins by opening verse 10. So, this is like another word for because. So, the reason I'm praying for you, the reason I want you to be filled with God's uh, will is so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul is saying, I want you to be filled by God with the knowledge of his will so that your lifestyle would be consistent with what you believe so that your lifestyle would be consistent with what God is showing you in his word. The word walk here in verse 10 implies lifestyle, that it is habitual, it is ongoing, it is a part of who you are, that your daily walk, your daily conduct is actually directly connected and direct result of what you believe and who you serve. 
Paul says that this walk pleases God. Practically, this means asking questions like, what I'm doing, is this pleasing to God? Not whether or not it's good, not whether or not it's bad, but is it pleasing to God? Is that our greatest pleasure, pleasing God? Paul unpacks what it looks like to please God because I know everybody's like, yeah, give me the practical. We'll, we'll dive into some of that. Paul unpacks what it looks like to please God by providing four illustrations of spiritual growth. These aren't the only things needed for spiritual growth, but they certainly are beneficial. This is a great guide in prayer and something that we should all be striving for. So here's the first one. Bearing fruit. Here's what the apostle says. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Simply put, the one who does not bear fruit does not please the Lord. That's pretty simple and practical. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says that we are saved by grace alone. But I want you to know that, that that grace that God saves us with does not become dormant after salvation. That grace is purposeful, specifically for good works that have been prepared for us. That's Ephesians 2.10. He says every good work, so every area of our lives. Bearing fruit means pursuing holiness, loving our neighbors, confessing and repenting of our sins, being a good boss or an outstanding employee, honoring parents, loving your children well, discipling one another, encouraging one another, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know them. Those are good works. We must bear fruit. Bearing fruit isn't a matter of, uh, of moral superiority or self-righteousness. It is you responding to the work of God in Christ for you. Bearing fruit is consistent with what God has done for you. Bearing fruit is consistent with what we say we believe. Number two, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, how do we increase in the knowledge of God? This little phrase, this little section has two meanings. We certainly increase in the knowledge of God through our devotion to His Word, as He has revealed to us in Scripture. And as He continues to, we learn more about God and we learn more about ourselves. Well, then what happens? Ideally, we obey. That's the second piece, obedience. We increase in the knowledge of God through obedience to God, when we lack obedience, we run the risk of breeding apathy. Paul wants these Christians to grow. Increasing means that as we learn more about God through his word and as we obey, you know what happens? We learn more about God and we obey more. That's literally what it means in the Greek. Exactly. There you go. See? Emma knows. I want you to listen to D.A. Carson. He's a pastor. He's a theologian. He's an author. This is what he writes about specifically this little verse. He says, 
we must learn something of that will. He's talking to God's revealed will. We must learn something of that will in order to obey it. Discovery of more of that will is contingent on obeying what we know of it. So God has revealed his will to us through his word. And as we learn about God or as we have learned about God and we have some knowledge of God and his will, our response is obedience. And as we obey, we grow in our knowledge of God. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, we obey more. Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Is there evidence in your life of an increase of the knowledge of God? From this text, we know that is not only devotion through his word, but is also obedience. Number three, Paul says, to be strengthened. Notice that Paul wants them to be strengthened with power, another reference to the Holy Spirit. For the purpose of what, though? Let's look at it. Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? For miracles? I keep knocking them like I'm against them. I'm not. But I know Christians are really attracted to them, and that's all they want to focus on. We're looking at everything. For what? For endurance and patience. Is it something amazing? Is it something big? Is it you getting what you've always wanted? It's endurance and patience that we would be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of endurance and patience. Here, the word endurance means that it's the kind of stamina that you build as you get under a burden or a heavy load and then carry it, especially when it hurts. During the week, Alan and I work out like two, three days a week. Alan's our drummer. He doesn't like being talked about, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I got the mic. So we get to work out about two to three days a week. One of the exercises that we do uh, is called a stone hold. And it is this really big stone. Uh, It's called a D-ball. And I think, I don't remember how much it weighs, 100, 150 pounds, something like that. And so we generally do Uh, two exercises, or we've been doing two exercises. And a stone hold is where you carry the stone right in front of your diaphragm, which also means the stone is on your diaphragm, which means it's harder to breathe. And so sometimes we use the stone to warm up before the main part of our workout, and we always have the clock running. And the idea of having the clock running is to help you build endurance. Because one, the stone is heavy. Two, you can't really breathe that well. Three, time isn't gonna go by any faster. Four, it's gonna hurt. It hurts a little bit more when we have to walk up and down the driveway with the stone resting on our diaphragm. And that's the kind of endurance the Apostle Paul is talking about. That when we undertake this burden or this heavy load that it will at some point get hard to breathe, that it's gonna be heavy, that it's gonna hurt, 
And then he wants us to be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit to endure. The other day we were warming up with the stone and we had a couple of, uh, there's this, this workout where you work 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, and the idea is that you build this endurance. Well, at the end of that warm-up, um, we were talking about the stone, and I think Alan asked something like, man, I, you know, I want to get to the point where I can hold the stone and, and, and breathe well. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, when we get there, what we're going to do is we're going to hold it longer. And then when we get there, what we're going to do is we're going to hold it even longer. And that's the point of endurance. The point of endurance isn't just, hey, I want you to hold it for so much and then it's going to relax. No, I want you to hold it and when you're able to have endurance, you're going to hold it even more. You're going to hold it longer. You're going to carry it further. Paul is asking God that they would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to endure. Additionally, he asks for them to grow in patience. See, the one who knows how to endure the difficulty of seasons is the one who knows how to possess patience. In that, in that exercise where we're holding this stone, especially if you've never carried stones or lifted stones, as we're doing that, one of the things a lot of beginners tend to do is they tend to freak out. Because the stone is on their diaphragm and they realize that they're running out of air and so you're seeing like short breath. <laughs> they're starting to panic, right? And then one of the other things that tends to happen because they feel the weight of the stone on them, everybody begins to grunt. And the idea of, or not the idea, but when you grunt in these occasions, you actually waste energy. When you are unable to control your breathing, you actually run out of air faster. The same could be said of having an oxygen tank on you. If you start breathing too fast, you actually run out of air faster. And so the kind of patience that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is as that stone or as that load or as that burden is pressing on you, that you would exercise patience as you endure. That's a hard prayer. I dare you to pray that. To endure. To be patient within that endurance. And if that whole strength and conditioning stuff confused you, I've heard it this way also. If we are going to have the endurance of the prophets and the patience of Job, then we must be strengthened by God's power. Many of you are in challenging seasons. Everything from school, whether that's finishing school, maybe you're a teacher, perhaps you're a student, maybe in your career, home life might be challenging right now. You might find yourself in difficult seasons in terms of your health conditions. Do you pray for endurance and patience? Do you pray for endurance and patience? Now here's the added tension. Do you endure joyfully? That doesn't mean that you're always happy. Joy is a lifestyle, not an emotion. Therefore, joy must have a source, a foundation, something that does not fade if we are to endure. 
for the Christian, that foundation is the Lord Jesus. Again, it doesn't always mean that you're happy, but it does mean that we are giving thanks in all circumstances for that is God's will for us. And that same warm-up that Alan and I do, whether you're holding a stone or other pieces of equipment, it's been kind of new for Alan. And so at some point you see him fading, and I start dancing around him with the stone, and he hates that. And I keep on telling him, this is joy. You need to be filled with it. That doesn't mean, here it is, but that doesn't mean, that does not annul the pressure of the stone on my diaphragm. That doesn't make it easier. Goofing around doesn't make it easier. I still have to hold it for so long. It's still pressing on my diaphragm. It is still hard to breathe. I also want to put the stone down. Do you pray for endurance and joy with, excuse me, for the endurance and patience? And do you endure and are you patient with joy? Number four, Paul tells them to give thanks. An echo of verses three through eight. Spiritual growth involves giving thanks. Last week I said that thanksgiving is how we fight discontentment and stay rooted in the truth. See, in the first part of his prayer, Paul is thankful to God for his work in and through the Colossians. And here, Paul wants them to be a thankful people because of God's work for them. Paul wants them to be thankful because God the Father has met their greatest need in Christ Jesus, and he elaborates this in the next few verses. But before we move on, how do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that is pleasing to him? By bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being strengthened by his power to endure, and giving thanks. The last part of verse 12 into verse 14. As we talk about spiritual growth, as we talk about Paul's prayer, one of the questions that you might come across or that you may have is, how is any of this possible? Because it's hard. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. Paul circles back to the gospel in these verses to remind us that God the Father has met our greatest need, which means that the foundation that we stand upon isn't one of our own but what Christ has laid for us through his life, death, and resurrection. You see, this reminder of the gospel is the motivation to respond. This reminder of the gospel is this reminder of what God has done for you. Therefore, you are capable of bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all of his power and giving thanks. You are not trying to do this aimlessly and without a source. Once again, this is what D.A. Carson writes about these verses. It's a little lengthy. I would encourage you to listen. If you want to see the quote, it should be up on the screen, but it's also online. Here's what he writes. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. 
If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Paul circles back to the gospel to remind the Colossians and in turn remind us of what God has done for us in Christ. And it is that that compels us to respond to his work in us. And in the event that you forgot, because we're forgetful, what did this Savior Jesus Christ do? He lays it out as if we've never heard it. He lays it out as if the Christian has forgotten because we do. He says that he qualified us so that we might share an inheritance with the saints. That God didn't look at us and say, man, you are exactly what we need on our team. I dig it. I love it. You're with us. He also didn't say, you are not what we need on this team. I don't want it. Let's move on. Christ is the one that qualified us. We were unqualified. And Christ is the one that has qualified us. Christ is the one that has folded you, Christian, into the story and glory of his redemptive purpose. And you share that inheritance with the saints of today and the saints of yesterday. Paul says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That is, that we have received our own exodus, that he has rescued us. That at one point we were not only alienated from God, but we were at war with God, that we were not at peace with God, that we were actually orphans, and Christ has rescued us. And unlike action movies where the hero rescues uh, people or families and then leaves them to figure it out, that's not what happens here. He delivers us from the domain of darkness and then transfers us into his kingdom. So it's not just that we were rescued from this really bad spot and this domain of darkness. It is that we were rescued and also transferred where we received a new identity, a new status, a new heart, a new mind with new desires. Have you ever received any kind of transfer? It feels good sometimes except in the valley. I don't know why. Because in the valley, when you get promoted or when you get transferred, your friends always ask you, you think you're better than me now? <laughs> Nobody's happy for anybody here. I remember Eric and I, Eric leads our, our liturgy up here. Eric and I used to work for the city. We used to be lifeguards and then lifeguard managers. And I remember when I became a department head, one of our employees uh, says, you think you're bad now? I remember you. I remember when you were a lifeguard. I couldn't even celebrate the fact that I graduated college or got a promotion. <laughs> the valley, whatever. I'm not going to go on in there. And so when, it, when, when that happens, in the valley, it's always like a transfer means you think you're better than, right? Let us not be like that. 
There's a lot of things that we love about the valley. Let's not do that, though sometimes it is funny. But let's not do that. Because here what we see is that the transfer that, that Christ gives us, because we have received an infinitely better transfer. Let me just tell you that. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, compare to pools, right? Like We have received an infinitely better transfer. And within that transfer, it doesn't mean that you're better. It means that you are new. That transfer doesn't mean that you're better. It means that you're repentant. That transfer doesn't mean that you're better. It means that you have been rescued by another. Paul continues in saying that Christ himself has redeemed us. That is that he has purchased us out of our slavery to our sin. That he has freed us from our bondage to sin. And finally, he has forgiven us of our sins. That our sins have been washed away. That they have been removed. That our debt has been paid by someone else's credit. We can respond to God's work for us precisely because of what God has done for us in Christ. The foundation of God's work for us is what compels us to pray this kind of prayer for one another and guides us to grow in our sanctification. May we pray and live this kind of prayer so as to never forget God's grace for us in Christ. May God never hear the end of our praise because of what He has done for us in Christ. Christ. May we respond to his work in order to please him and to be more like Jesus. May we pray this kind of prayer for one another because we are serious about this kind of life. And so as we conclude, Christian, where is it in your life that you are rejecting God's grace? Is there evidence of God's grace and work for you in your life? Where must you be humbled today? Right now. Confession of our sin is hard. And it's hard because it makes you vulnerable. It strips you of your self-righteousness. It exposes areas that aren't godly and are in need of redemption. And it's humbling. May our confession this morning be pleasing to the Lord. May we give thanks this morning for His grace and our folly. And if you're not a Christian... I so badly want you to join us. However, if you do not know Jesus, then you, my friend, are in the domain of darkness. One that is governed by chaos, evil, and deception. I want you to receive a transfer. I want you to know God in Christ. And I want you to know that Christ is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. Church, spiritual growth 
is our response to the work of God for us and the work of God in us. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to even admit it to ourselves what lies in the depths of our souls. But Father, we do not want to hide ourselves from you. Lord, would you give us the courage and conviction to respond to your work in us? To resist, reject, and to put to death self-righteousness, pride, bitterness, arrogance, apathy, anything that is not pleasing to you. The psalmist prays that you would teach him to do your will. And so, Lord, we ask for the same. Fill us with the knowledge of your will that you have revealed to us. And may we forsake guilt and shame because we are forgiven in Christ. We have been rescued We have been redeemed. We are forgiven. Holy Spirit, we forget so easily. Help us to remember that our bondage has been set free and that we belong to the Lord Jesus. May we walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you today and every day. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. Amen.